It is December 1962, and a big old bear is taking a long drink of water in a backyard in southeast Portland. You wired me awake and hit me with a hand of broken nails. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. You tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History. A survey created by the geeked out history folks at ORHistory.com. We profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Today we'll be talking about bears. Yes, that kind. Oh, and that kind too. In the city of Portland. This podcast is brought to you by The Eagle. Historian and manscaping enthusiast, Doug Kane Crispin. When I'm in the mood for a drink with the fellas, and just the fellas, I head on up to the Eagle. The Eagle is a relaxed, no-po hangout that fits like your favorite pair of jeans. A place where a guy can be authentic, be himself. So come check out the Eagle at 835 North Lombard, or you can visit them on the web at eagleportland.com. And who knows? You might even bump into a real bear or two, or nine, at the Eagle. Today's podcast is a bit of an introspective piece, and we hope you ass-kickers will get a little insight about the weird way the historical process functions as a result. To begin, let's hear from our resident historian, Doug Kent Crispin. Many kick-ass Oregon history podcasts are products from catching a fragment of the story. Did you ever hear about the time Roseburg blew up? Or did you know there were exploding balloons in World War II? And this historian thinking, wow, that's fucking weird, and delving into a study of the story. Others are pure happenstance, and that is the root of today's Bears in Portland podcast. A few years ago, I was researching about Portland's park blocks and was drawing up a mountain of Oregonian articles about the subject, or some even tangentially related pieces. One article from January of 1922, in a section that used to run in the paper called Do You Remember? A kind of flashback remembrance piece. The article came up in a database search, for it read, Do you remember when the trees in the park blocks were first planted? Not hugely beneficial for my research. But for some reason, my eye wandered to the end of the article, where a sentence just jumped out at me. That line read, do you remember when the black bear was chained to a maple tree on the corner of 3rd and Salmon Streets? The line caused me pause. I sat back for a moment and literally said aloud, what the fuck is that? And that is exactly how it happens. That is the creation for kick-ass Oregon history. The stories behind this series. A simple line, maybe even relegated to a footnote, sets off a quest, an obsession, to find out exactly what the fuck that is. I only know neither one of us trying to hold it down. Neither one of us taking the middle ground. Wasn't how to make sense we were thinking of. Just the two of us bent on delirious love. The problem was there wasn't much to go on. 
we had a street intersection and a bear, the poor soul, chained to a tree. No names, no real dates, besides before 1922. It wasn't much to build on, but I delved into it and kept my eyes open over the years. Yes, I said years. Cesar Zenzola, also known as George, was an organ player, originally from Italy, who lived at 673 Hood Street. Mr. Zenzola had a monkey that danced to his hurdy-gurdy notes, and for some time, he also had a dancing bear named Teddy. The two animals apparently got along well. Eventually, George's animal collection was retired presumably by city authorities who had safety concerns, and the troop was put out of business. And for good reason. For in July of 1916, Zenzola's bear escaped from the cellar he was kept in. The bear got loose from his bondage and roamed the streets around the home until he eventually climbed a large fir tree. Zenzola was tracked down and coaxed the animal out of the tree but the frightened community had had enough with all of this bear business. Zenzola was forbidden to allow the bear to perform. As with most tales involving monkeys, bears, and Italians, this came to a tragic end. According to the Oregonian in June of 1923, Teddy was living in Zenzola's squalor-packed shack up in the trash-filled Markham Gulch, along with some other fellows permanently down on their luck. A hermit named Giuseppe, who disliked Zenzola and apparently hated Teddy, heard some bear-like racket and ventured down to Zenzola's to see what was happening. Teddy spied Giuseppe lurking around and pounced upon the old Italian, slashing with his claws and bringing his powerful jaws down onto his victim. Zenzola picked up a shovel and started hitting Teddy to break his deadly grip. Maybe it was the heat Maybe it was the years of pent-up anger at discipline. Who knows? But the beast turned on his own master and attacked Zenzola. Soon, Teddy stopped his attack and calmly sauntered back to his shack. The wounded Giuseppe drug himself off to his own hovel and was heard to mutter, Cesar, big bad man. The police soon arrived and an officer, Cross, shot 11-year-old Teddy with one shot from a police riot gun and then sealed the deal with a single pistol shot to the dying bear. Cesar Zenzola, lying in a bed a mere block away, did not hear the report. An attendant told the old man that they had shot his bear, his very bad bear. And then the reporter wrote that, And Cesar... A little light from the boarded window glinting from his earrings, lighting the horrible litter, making beautiful the Madonna on the wall and deepening the pain lines in his old face, actually cried. The beast in me is caged by frail and fragile bars. Restless by day and by night Rants and rages at the stars God help the beast in me 
Thus, I learned the sincerely sad saga of the bear chained to the maple tree on 3rd and Salmon. But in addition, my interest was sparked, as it always is when weirdness in Oregon is plentiful, and I began a quest to study the stories of bears in Portland. Bears roaming the streets of PDX is nothing new. My search for bears took me back and back and back. Richard Knight operated a drugstore at 270 Morrison Street. In the 1880s, sailors would come to visit him and would sell wild and exotic animals collected on their trips, parakeets and monkeys and other small animals. Knight bought a grizzly bear named Grace for $75 and a young brown bear named Brownie for $50. The menagerie was too large for his drugstore, so he kept the bears staked in the empty lot next to his store. He donated the bears to the city in 1888, and they were moved to Washington Park, the genesis of the Oregon Zoo that we enjoy today, and thus, the oldest zoo west of the Mississippi was born. In 1894, the Washington Park keeper, Charles Myers, who was, by default, also the zookeeper, built a pit for the two bears to live in, affectionately named the Bear Pit. It is thought to be the first sunken, barless cage anywhere in the world. I wanted to hear more about this novel bear enclosure. So, where else to go but the scion of the Washington Park Pit, today's Oregon Zoo. I sat down with current bear keeper, Amy Cutting, who told me about the bear pit in the park. The evolution of bear exhibits in zoos is an interesting one. Um, you know, back in the day, they just sort of threw them in a cage behind bars, and, and were, uh, the purpose was to keep these aggressive, dangerous animals behind bars so people could come and gawk at them. And there came a time when people thought, well, I don't want to have bars in between me and the bear. I want to pretend that I'm, I'm out in the landscape somehow. So they developed these, these barless cages. And in fact, you know, we believe the Oregon Zoo, the Portland Zoo at the time, had one of the first barless exhibits in the world. And they did that by dropping the area that the bears were in down lower into these pit-type areas where visitors could look over into the pit. And that seemed like a good thing for the visitors to not have to look through bears. Probably wasn't so great for bears. One thing we know about bears is they like to be able to look around and see for long distances, know what's going on. They like to have a little bit of control over their environment. Being down in these bear pits, people could yell at them, throw things at them. Um, they were kept in large numbers. Um, they weren't. There was no shift area for them to go to for the for the keepers to get in and service the area. So they'd simply sort of fire hose the exhibit with the animals in there. We know now that those kinds of conditions are, are really unacceptable for bears. But at the time, that was state of the art. Uh, and I think the evolution now has moved much toward, much more toward sort of an animal-centric view of what habitats should be. Instead of how do we keep them in, the focus has really become, well, we know how to keep them in. Now let's make sure that they have good quality of life. Bears live quite close to the city, and their close proximity legacy remains on our city's history. In August of 1894, Mr. George L. Sargent, at the time the Secretary of the State Board of Horticulture, had been practicing with his rifle in Willamette Heights, 
when a half-grown bear came galloping along the ridge. Reportedly trying to catch the beast to be a pet, Mr. Sargent and some friends gave chase, but the Bruin ditched the party in the dense brush in Balch's Canyon, named, of course, after the murderer Danford Balch, who was featured in a previous Kick-Ass Oregon History podcast. But encounters didn't stop there. In 1908, John Brooks of Holbrook killed a 200-pound black bear within three miles of Portland. An Oregonian reporter seems to have had quite a chuckle with an October 1894 Milwaukee bear unearthing. It seems as if this specific Bruin was eating the prunes and corn of the Milwaukee farmers, and the locals just kind of dealt with the situation. The reporter wrote that, For a long time, the fellow did not attempt to take human or animal life, and the fear in which he was held by some of the more timid residents of Milwaukee they were not all women and children, began slowly to subside. The bear roamed over a pretty wide range and once crossed the river and came down to City View Park, where he was seen by a boy milking a cow. Both fled for their lives, and considerable milk was spilt. And then, one fateful day, Mr. Bear ate an Angora goat. Well, of course, this aggression would not stand. A group of redoubtable nimrods, as the reporter called them, treed the bear, and a Mr. Rusk, with his trusty Winchester, shot the bear nine times. After the ninth round, the 350-pound monster fell to the ground from his 100-foot-high perch. His carcass was split among the nimrods. Here again was something that caught my attention. Use of the term Nimrod kept popping out at me in this research of Portland Bears. For a while, I thought there was just an inordinate amount of dumbasses in the ledgers of our fair city, and I was cool with that. But the word Nimrod was just appearing too much. So I conducted a search on the term and found that it related to the biblical character by the same name, which is defined in Genesis 10, 8 through 12 as the first man on earth. To be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. So to call someone a Nimrod was to regard them as a mighty hunter, of biblical proportions, I guess. Urban legend has it that the term was perverted in the late 1930s by Bugs Bunny, who referred to Elmer Fudd several times as a Nimrod, and teenagers of the era bastardized the usage of the word forever. Portland has a long history of bears wandering our boulevards and thoroughfares. In 1910, patrolman Tom Swims was chased for several blocks by a cinnamon bear, and not the adorable kind you used to meet at Meyer and Frank every Christmas. The animal had escaped his captivity at the Portland Bird Company at 91 Union Avenue. According to the reports, Officer Swims was on his beat on Union, when in the light of the moon, he saw a curious, creeping object coming towards him, which he could not identify. Soon, a low growl emanated from the shape, and then the hunt was on. 
swims, ran like hell, with the bear following behind him. Eventually, when backup arrived, a soup bone and a barrel were commandeered from a nearby restaurant, and a trap was constructed, with the bear's snout ending up at the bottom of the barrel. The bear was dragged back to the Portland Bird Company, where the animal was used to attract customers. Sadly, other businesses too seemed to find an exhibition value in bears. In 1920, the Unger Fur Store, which is still in operation today, exhibited a live bear in the store's window display case until police came and asked the management to stop the practice. The miserable animal had not nearly enough air, it was decided, and just a little pan of water to drink from. Mr. Unger opened the display case door, but made it clear in no uncertain terms that he was not going into the case to extract the bear. Mr. Whaling of the Humane Society was summoned and removed the bear with the aid of a rope. The Bears in Our City's Mitts timeline extends very close to our era. A 1946 article in the New York Times examined the connection of urban Portland with the natural world in a piece entitled Portland's Wildlife. Less than two miles from skyscrapers are thick forests and many animals. Even at this late of a date, the article drew the reader's attention that just behind Portland's busy downtown, wildlife abounded, and this bevy even included occasional black bears. But perhaps one of the greatest bear chase stories came in September of 1962. A black bear was spotted in the early morning by Officer Stowers on Southeast Reed College Place. The bear was chased over a 20-block area for the next two and a half hours. Local radio announced to residents to stay in their homes, but the curious could not be contained. A carnival-like atmosphere developed, with gawkers following along behind the police, running to get a glimpse of the action and seemingly joining the chase. The pursuit ended when the bear stopped to take a drink in a backyard pond at 6531 Southeast 48th Street. Richard Ross, a period television reporter, several newspaper reporters, and a crowd of spectators that literally numbered in the hundreds ran into the Southeast home's backyard. Other memorable members of the horde were a woman carrying a small child in her arms and a crime beat reporter who was literally named Kent Clark. The police claimed that there were too many innocents crowded into the backyard to shoot the animal, but ultimately, the beast was dispatched by police radio dispatcher Leroy Calhoun, who fired two 30 caliber rounds from a submachine gun into the imbibing bear. Bears of the statuary variety also grace our city. Just think of the three bronze bears by Pioneer Courthouse along the Max tracks. The nature scene, entitled Animals in Pools, was crafted by sculptor Georgia Gerber in 1986. In 1991, the middle bear was actually stolen. Luckily, widespread press about the event spooked the thief, who left the lifeless beast relatively unharmed in the bushes of a first interstate bank in Aloha. To really catch up with modern-day bear sightings in Portland, I had to look at bears of the two-legged variety. Recently, we had a chance to sit down with Mike Bolivac, former Mr. Oregon Bear 2000, 
and he told us about the group that he belongs to, the Oregon Bears. Uh, the Oregon Bears was formed back in 1995. Um, we call ourselves Bears. We're the type of gay man that likes the huskier, hairier side of the masculinity. Uh, we're not your typical uh, young GQ, clean, smooth type of guy. And so they started forming the club, and we started out with about 13 members and wanted to just keep it a social type gathering for guys to get together and just have fun and intermingle and, you know, get to be friends. And the club has grown to right around 500 members now. And we do a lot of charity work for different organizations. Uh, we have tremendous amount of events that we do monthly, yearly. Um, and it's just a way for guys to get together and just kind of bond as a brotherhood. And what is uh, the association of bears, meaning you fellows, with bears, the four-legged kind? I think the, they use bears. We're all, we also get called wolves, otters, depending upon your hairiness and your size. Uh, but bears, I think the, they pick that one mainly because bears are hairy, they're husky. And I think that's along the lines of what uh, gay men... The, like the big hairy guys. <laughs> and then being here in Oregon uh, with all of the natural environment around us, the wildness, do you feel that there's a particular connection with the two-legged Oregon bears, with the four-legged Oregon bears that maybe you wouldn't find in New York or Chicago or San Francisco? Um, I think that we relate as to the bear, the animal, the bears, uh, because, you know, we like to be out in nature. We like doing things. Uh, I think we're a little more social than bears in the wild. Bears are kind of pretty lonely creatures out there. Uh, we're a little more social. And uh, we just, you know, like I said, we like to do it as a, a networking, use it as a networking tool. So that's how history seems to work. I start to investigate the story of a bear in chains in downtown Portland and end up talking to a bear who wears chains in downtown Portland. Pretty kick-ass, huh? Some folks say there ain't no bears in Arkansas Some folks never seen a bear at all Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers. And be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast on bears in Portland was brought to you by The Eagle. It was written by Doug Kent Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Check out our website at orhistory.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there and have it delivered through RSS directly to your device. Or follow us on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Feel free to like us on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Be sure to 
join us for ORHistory.com's D.B. Cooper Night at Mississippi Studios, located at 3939 North Mississippi Avenue on November 20th, 2011 at 7 p.m. We'll have a rock and history-filled night with live bands and historian Katie Barber, Matt Love, Twitter legend at Ancient Portland, and our own resident historian, Doug Kank Crispin. Raffle prizes, live music, drinks, a whole bunch of history, and who knows, perhaps Mr. Cooper himself will drop on in. D.B. Cooper Night is co-sponsored by Dave Knows PDX, Lost Oregon, and Jennifer Wells Design Glass Studios. Why don't you come on down? Just don't loosen Doug's chains, okay? No matter how much he bends. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. I'm afraid of bears. I think owls are a waste of time.